Hey everybody, it's Brennan, and uh, Patrick and I want to announce something very, very exciting before we get into today's episode. We would like to share with you Deadhead Review's very first Horror in Hollywood short story competition. Patrick here. It is theme-based, the horror in Hollywood. Horror stories set in and around the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. Your story can take place at any period of Hollywood history, from the beginning days of silent black and white movies to the modern era of big Hollywood blockbusters. Be creative. Cross-genre is welcome. As far as the rules are concerned, we are looking for a maximum word count of 4,000 words, and we would like you to know that we are interested in standalone prose fiction stories. No TV, movie, play script treatments, or novel or novella extracts will be accepted. Brennan and I will be on the panel of judges alongside L. Turpit, Rich Gerlach, Cassie Daly, S.H. Cooper, and possibly more. The contest is open starting on September 15th, and it's going to run all the way to September 30th. More contact information for that can be found on the Deadhead site, which I'll give in just a minute. As far as prizes go, there's a lot of good stuff in store, including promotional packages, editing services, and you could even be a guest on this very show that you're about to listen to. For more information, go to deadheadreviews.com. Welcome to Dead Headspace. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major platforms, which now includes Ghana, India's largest streaming commercial service. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello. And today we have a very special situation. We got our first guest host, Cassie Daly. Say hi, Cassie. And we are talking with our guest, Zach Ashford. Hello, sir. Good evening. How are you? Doing pretty good. Um, we're playing with three people now, so whoever wants to jump in to ask the base question or really any question, feel free. I'll jump in. Perfect. Um, so, Zachary, usually we start off talking to people, and we want to know what got you into horror. Movies, literature, whichever way you want to take it. Yeah, okay. It's a good question. It's one that sort of comes up a lot. So I end up thinking about it a lot, and it's hard to know exactly because I think – and I think what I've sort of brought it down to is as a kid, you, you love – oh, I loved. I don't know. Am I too loud? I feel like I'm loud. Um, but – like, like the, the Greek mythology, the fantasy stories that you read as a kid, you know, I always loved when the monsters came out in those stories, you know, the Hydra, the Minotaur, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think from there, it's just kind of this natural evolution. Um, you know, I really got into those monster in my pocket toys when I was a kid. I loved those. And then, you know, just all these kinds of things. And, and when my mum was always like, we'll go to the library, we'll go to the library. And I was always getting, you know, those 
um, books about the supernatural or witches or werewolves or, you know, because I grew up in England until I was sort of 8 to 12, that sort of age, moved backwards and forwards from Australia a bit, you know, the, the, the Panthers and things and the Moors in England, all that kind of stuff. And you know, I know I just think it, it sort of evolves from there. Um, you know, mum had a whole bunch of Stephen King novels on the shelf as a kid, so that was always kind of really cool to sort of get into. And then just, you know, rad movies like The Thing. Um, and comics, I really got into Marvel comics as a kid, as everyone sort of did. And I remember going into a cheap store one day and there was a, there was a pack and it was the, I don't know if you remember, the, the Midnight Suns that Marvel had. You had sort of Blade, the Night Stalkers, and, you know, um, Morbius. Those kinds of guys in there. Is Ghost Rider included in that? All those guys was like superhero comics, but supernatural as well. So that was really rad. And then I think the other part of that is metal. I always found metal and horror is just so intrinsically linked. And, you know, I, like, I love a good metal song that's about a werewolf, you know, <laughs> that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I love that. So I think that's probably it. I really love that you um, that you mentioned the Stephen King books because I liked the inscription that you had for Soul Survivor where it says like that you still have all of your mom's books and I thought that was really sweet because I mean my parents don't do a lot of reading but I was like man if my mom read like I would borrow her books and keep them and that would be really really adorable <laughs> and I really liked that note. Yeah, it was. I, I guess it was something important because I well I, I don't know it, it's this will sound it's not that sad because it's sort of a long time ago but. You know, when we lost mum quite early, maybe five, six years ago, she was only in her 50s, and um, it was a real surprise. But when we were sort of cleaning everything out, I was like, no, those books are coming with me, you know, because it was just one of the things that, you know, was always there. And they're actually, a lot of them, I don't know if you can see the shelf over there, but that, that tall one, they're all sort of on there. And it was just a great way to get into reading because, you know, kids at school would be reading sort of Roald Dahl. And I was like, man, I'm reading this this thing about this guy. He's got a pseudonym and he's killing people. <laughs> and it was just, just awesome, you know. So, yeah, really appreciated that. I, um, I, I know we're going to talk about Soul Survivor, but uh, I'm jumping way ahead to one part. It's not going to ruin anything. Where basically the setup for no, one's, no one that's seen it, where – uh, at a island, there's a group of people, other people are missing or gone or not with the main group, and um, one of them says that they saw – and I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me if I fuck up what happens in your book, but <laughs> – You gave me your life, man. It's all good. One person uh, sees – talks about two people having sex, and another <laughs> one says that they're going to masturbate while – those two are having sex, and there's a third person that says, "Righto, I'm out." That made me laugh my fucking ass off. You said "Righto," like that's what, <laughs> what a polite way to say, "Okay, creep." <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 I kind of, I really like the rats, the James Herbert story, and I always just like. I, I get to those scenes in those books and I'm just like, what the hell, man? This is so over the top. Like, who really wants to read this in, in the same, same in movies? The, the wife loves Outlander. Or even, you know, when we'd watch Game of Thrones and I'd be like, oh, my God, there's now a 10-minute, like, scene. Can we just fast forward this and get back to the story? But uh, And I always kind of found that kind of funny. And then, as I, I sort of said before, I, I really wanted to sort of parody the kinds of people you get on these reality TV shows, these kind of all these really young, beautiful, dumb people 
who who just often sleaze bags on these reality shows, and and I just kind of wanted to just think, who are these, you know, these these people out there, and, and you know, just try and make something funny. A really crude, crass humour. I, I, I think I, I enjoy that kind of, you know, immature joke. So. <laughs> I heard in an uh, interview with you and Glenn Parker with Max Booth that um, you knew someone that was on a show similar to this, some type of reality show. And feel free to talk about that in a moment if you want. But I just had to say that uh, where the street that I grew up on as a kid, um, the this one guy is a few years older than me. He was on The Bachelor. I, I don't know what season. I don't watch it. But they called his mom, who's my gym teacher, and she told she's telling my mom all about it. And uh, my mom's like, you really talked about, you know, put a condom on and stuff like on national television. And she goes, that's what the script said. I'm like, I fucking knew it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. With reality TV. Um, when, I, when my first university degree, I did a communications uh, degree like so many people do outside of school. Um, which was, you know, I guess I guess I use it. I, I use it to go towards my teaching and things like that. But um, they actually had big when Big Brother was new at the time. He was, you know, how how old I am. But um, they, they had one of the guys there, and he was talking about how there's nothing that's not scripted. It's all set up, and obviously this is all pretty well known stuff these days. But you know, when, when you're kind of watching it without that knowledge, you, you really do think all this stuff is just natural, but it's it's so engineered. It's you know, it's really interesting to see that kind of stuff. Like Jersey Shore. Yeah, I'm sure you know, apply them with alcohol and put them in a small space together and just watch the chaos unfold. Pretty much the goal there, from what I've seen of the ads and snippets I've seen here and there on that one. <laughs> that whole yeah. genre. So, uh, gosh, I don't remember when it really kind of started up with like survivor one they're on like i don't know season 138 now but it was so different i suppose um i remember that you know watching it was like you know you you would sit down with the family like like an event and now that seems so strange i remember because the guy who won the first season was um local to the area and you know they were keeping it big and under wraps who the survivor was going to be and he this was the guy and I think his name was Richard Hatch. This is the guy who ended up going to jail for like tax evasion and stuff like that. But he got in a boatload of trouble because he started on all these renovations on his house. He started adding like wings and building his house into a mansion before the season finale had aired. <laughs> and um, I, I don't think ABC or whoever the fuck was too pleased with that. Um, but that's kind of a cool idea to make that the setting um for the book and you know to paraphrase yourself because this sounds kind of dickish it it does show your age a little bit like from when that was and and i'll put myself in that boat too to sound slightly (laughs) less like a dick um but to to kind of um highlight the time when that was a big deal and when when those kind of shows were so fun just to see just how horrifically wrong it could go um I, I want to know a little bit more about drop bears because I'm always interested to hear what's relatively um, familiar to you, but is is kind of new to us, you know, halfway across the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, 
it's probably they're not like a cryptid, you know. Like we have our cryptids, and I was listening to was it um, Andrew Cole? You were talking to about various cryptids. He, he loves in, that in shit. Yeah. yeah, and it's so cool. And they're, they're like yeah, there's always that really cool stuff every. But with drop bears, I couldn't tell you exactly when it started the history of it. But essentially, what it is is tourists come to Australia and they think, oh, you know, where's a good place to go for a bushwalk? And and, and the classic kind of joke is, you know. Oh, make sure you rub some Vegemite on your ears before you go out there because the drop bears, is, it keeps them away. And, and it just sort of plays on that, that, that you know, that, that pop culture myth of um, all of Australia's wildlife is going to kill you, um, which, you know, I got swooped by a magpie just leaving work yesterday. So there's some truth to it. But, um, you know, it's just such a funny thing because, you know, koalas are so cuddly and cute and, and the irony that there could possibly be something like that is just lots of fun. And, and you really can tease people. I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher and, and one of the things you can do with lots of – because I think you, you're a teacher too, aren't you, Brennan? I am. Yeah. And, and so you'd know yourself that sometimes you just got to mess with the students a little bit. I don't know how old your guys are, but I've got high school – they're littler, but that doesn't stop me from messing with them. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's so so much fun because some of those kids they're so gullible. You can just like, oh yeah, these things are totally real. Make sure when you go out there, and and you'll see like half the kids are kind of sniggering, and the other half are looking like really terrified about it. But essentially, <laughs> what it is, it's a koala that falls out of a tree and eats people. You know, um, there there is. I've been reading since there is some evidence that there were carnivorous koalas that did sort of pounce from trees, but whether they were really koalas or just, you know, an early primitive marsupial is, you know, probably fairly different, but that's sort of where they've been likened to. Um, what I wanted to do with mine when I was writing, I was thinking about, yeah, look, it's obviously very tongue in cheek, but the idea of just having a koala, it's not a very predatory creature. If you've ever seen one up close, you know, it's not going to, you know, it's got some claws, but it's not going to do too well in a fight. You know, the, a lot of them actually, a dog will just grab them around the midsection and that's it, they're done for. So I thought in an evolutionary kind of way, I had to make them more terrifying and that's where kind of the muscles and the tails and things came in like a real koala. I don't know, maybe it has a stump for a tail, but they don't have tails or anything like that. So... I mean, yeah. you did a really good job because I was terrified and I wasn't completely sure that I'm going to tell you, I didn't know what drop bears were. I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, and so I was reading it and I Googled it because I was like, oh, is this just another name for a koala? And I went on like this wormhole of reading that I was not prepared for. <laughs> and They're terrifying and you made them terrifying to me. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to have nightmares about these creatures. Oh, now. Oh, there, you, there you go. So I guess the next time you're in the forest, just, you know, or on a walk, just look up if you hear rustling in the trees that they could be them. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, and, and yeah, I guess that was the goal, just a way to make them predatory. And I sort of, I had to have some similarities to monkeys. I sort of, some of them are calling them like monkey bears and things and, and and yeah, I guess that that's it. So that's basically what they are. So for as far as getting it into the Rewind or Die series, I'm wondering uh, what came first, the series or the or the novel? Is this something you wrote with the series in mind or had you been bouncing this around a while? Yeah, look, it's, it's a bit of a combination. It, it, I've sort of had 
as part of my original degree at uni, I did do a writing degree. And I'd always had this idea, going back to when reality TV was fairly fresh, of having this idea of people who didn't know they were on a reality TV, which isn't really that novel. It's happened, you know, many times. But I also kind of wanted to get drop bears in. I was sort of on a bit of a kick of Australian wildlife and and how you can use that sort of stuff in, in you know, cheesy fiction. And, and when I saw there was a rewind or die call from Eddie, I was just like, I just put the two ideas together and I wish it was, I could say it was sort of um, uh, an epiphany or something. But it, well, it was just kind of, you know, kind of a contrived idea to get something that I thought was a pretty 80s style um, horror movie monster into a story that I thought would be amusing and cheesy and interesting. So. I I thought it was funny, though, because it fits the theme of what that whole series does so well. It's, you know, around that, like, 100 to 150 page mark, it's got, like, the brutal, gory monsters, but it's also got kind of that element of humor to it. Um, And I feel like that series did a nice job of really bringing in a, a whole bunch of books that all fit that. But again, they're all different. I mean... There's going to be 20 of those. I don't think any of the other ones are going to have killer koalas in them. Um, and you could look at all all the you know ones that kind of um, bookend yours, and they're going to have kind of those unique aspects as well. Yeah, I, I, I really love the series. I'm up to, I think, Nico's. Uh, Nick, I'm not, I think that's how you say a name. I believe that's not wrong, and I apologize for this. Um, but, yeah, it is, and, and it's so much fun. I mean – we watch a lot of 80s horror movies here because I kind of insist and the wife just goes along with it, I think. Um, and so what we'll usually do is we'll watch something new and good and then we'll bust out something old and good, you know. Um, but I, I, that's the thing, and, and it kind of comes back to a lot, of, a lot of the metal stuff as well. It's not supposed to be taken so seriously a lot of the time. Like it is over the top and it is extreme and, and there's a very tongue-in-cheek kind of mentality behind a lot of that. And, and that's why I love a lot of those 80s movies. You, you're looking at them. Uh, we, well, last night we watched Cellar Dweller, you know, and, and it's really kind of a subjectively terrible film. Um, but it, it's so enjoyable as well. You know, this whole idea of a guy has, you know, killed himself drawing a comic book based on, you know, a supernatural book where the monster comes. And and, and it's it's so it's so far in the realm of fantasy, Um and it's just it's just kind of gloriously I keep saying the word cheesy, but that's what it is. And I think there's a lot of fun to that, you know. Um even we went through all the Friday the thirteenth movies over a couple of months recently, and that, that was a bit of a marathon. And and just the, the fact that there's the timelines in there, like what is going on with that timeline and, and is it trying to be funny, is it trying to be scary? Like, you know, it's just just watch it, entertain it, take your brain out. And, and, you know, and, and I think there's a real place for that in horror. I mean, obviously there's a, a different place as well, which is, you know, hey, some of this stuff is like we watched Antebellum and, you know, like legitimately terrifying and powerful, you know. It's, and, and, and that's what I love this genre is, is it's so wide. You can pretty much go anywhere with it, you know. Um, and so many authors are doing so many great things, whether it's that, you know, that, that quiet horror, the cosmic horror, the – you know the the mad scientist kind of thing. I just I just love how wide open it is for interpretation. But yeah, to go back to the point, rewind or die. 
it, yeah, they've nailed it. And, and I think a lot of Eddie's own stuff is a lot like that. So it's really good to see um, that he's opened up this series and it's going to go again, which is going to be really cool because I've got my little, you know, we want to die collector card just here, you know. Um, and, and I've really got into just reading novellas, you know, to pump that Goodreads list a little bit because, <laughs> you know, with work, we're all busy and you kind of, I like, uh, I'm talking way too much, but. I just read, like, I went through Moby Dick and it was such a slog. And I know that book is kind of famously a slog, but um, it's so, so good to just grab a small book, blast through it. Like, yeah, that was awesome. Where's my next one? Um, yeah. And, and I think Eddie does that really well with, with the series. And the authors in there have read some of those are just such great stories in already. I said I'm only four or five books in. So yeah, it's fantastic. Is there any is there particular that you'd like to talk about? Oh, um, I really liked um, Hayley Piper's one, mm. uh, Benny Hill. That, that was great. Like, that, that felt like watching a movie, you know. Um, that was really cool. And also Jessica Guest's book, that was, that was really good too. I really liked that. You know, that something so, so entertaining about an enclosed space where, you know, People are trying to kill each other, and <laughs> and in a, sh- a short blast, I, you know, it's just so good and easy to read. So, and that's what you want, you know. Sometimes you kind of get really bogged down in whether something's literary or not, but at the end of the day, it's entertainment. Yeah, and and and, and that's perfect, you know. Like so, yeah, that's. How do you feel when you got the acceptance from Eddie? Oh, man, that, that was huge because it's my first one. I've, I've had a few short stories accepted and, and, and you know, it was, I remember we were actually walking out the door to go to work. And, until this year, my wife and I, we worked in the same staff room, same school. Uh, she's a teacher as well. So I was just like checked with my phone email as we do before you go and I'm just like, oh, hang on a minute. And, and like it had, you had to keep it secret as well for a while. Like don't tell anyone. So kind of just waiting on that and, like, getting to work and just being like, yeah, this is so cool. Uh, and, yeah, but, no, it was a real kind of Leighton Hewitt fist, fist pump moment, you know. Like, yeah, really, really exciting. I, I know that the, the book hat isn't perfect, but, um, I, I, yeah, it was a really good moment and hopefully it's something I can build on and, and get more out there. So that's I think, what I do. Uh, I think it does exactly what you were trying for it to uh, – seeking for it to do, which was just have a fun – pulpy novella and uh the blood was great the scenes that you have where people get massacred was fun i mean i liked it i thought it was a good story yeah, the whole opening chapter um really just kind of sets the tone for it you're like you get to the end of chapter one you're like oh fuck this is what i'm reading okay all right let's do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no thanks um yeah definitely that, that's all i wanted like just that fast start and but if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it in that way that really is kind of, you know, let's just get going. The kind of movie I might like to watch that's just it's very splattery, I think. I don't know if it's what most people would see as splatter, but also I haven't used that word with any intention. But, yeah, just to um, blood and gut story with creature features. It's, I mean, I with it. the amount of nuts that are spraying everywhere, I feel like splatter is a pretty – applicable term like and it wasn't even just not in just this one but in your other ones too i noticed but i mean especially in this one like he like brennan mentioned in the first opening part you are so good at writing 
really gross, like gruesome, gory, just <laughs> disgusting stuff that like, um, I'm not, I don't want to spoil it for any listeners who haven't read your stories or the ones published by, um, you know, domain. I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say there are some scenes with animals, with people, with guts, with deaths that just, they got me like while I was reading, they really, really got me. Like, how are you, how did you do that? Like, how are you so good at writing that? Cause I can't do that. <laughs> like I can't uh, get that gross stuff. Uh, I, thank, thank you. Um, I just kind of think about gracing myself out with it, you know, like what would I hate to see? Like I'm actually not really good at like, like movies like Saw, you know, um, or those kinds of like, like the gore porn stuff. I'm really like, oh, I actually <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and I know the books probably give a very different impression, but, you know, I, I'm not, not real great with that. So uh, I just think what is horrible and like the, in the domain one with like the opening with the, the dogs, like yeah. I love dogs so much. I want to make that really clear, but I was like, what would be the most horrifying thing you could possibly find? Like, this is actually the only period of my life we haven't had dogs around. And I'm always saying to Moans, like, we've got to get a dog, we've got to get a dog. But it's, you know, we both work so much. We're never here. And it's, you know, it's not fair. But, yeah. And so I just think, what would I hate to see? What is gross? Um, what kind of – sorry, my Google is just making a noise. <laughs> um, and yeah, just if I can gross myself out, I'm pretty sure it'll gross most people out. Um, and yeah, it, yeah, I know that feeling. I think I was reading one of Michael Patrick Hicks books and, and I got to a moment there and I was like, oh, this is too much. <laughs> you know? So, um, I guess if it had that effect, it, it worked. So yeah, that's, that's, I basically. really love that answer because, uh, when I read something that, you know, is, very graphic and even bordering on over the top. I always kind of picture the author writing it and letting off a maniacal laugh, picturing the look on somebody like Cassie's face uh, as they <laughs> encounter it. Um, so to know that you're kind of sitting there writing and like you're typing sentence by sentence, you know, trying not to let your gag reflex go. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a funny mental image for me. Uh, awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed that. I mean, I think, one of the things I'm really, really like, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos where, like, the pimple popping and all that kind of stuff. Like, I can't do I it. No, no. And, yeah, because I have to do, like, um, I do articles for Aussie Man Reviews website. And, and the guys who, who farm out the content, every now and then they'll send me something like that. And I'm just like, I hate you guys. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'll try and write it without looking. And you have to look. And it. There's usually like a strongly worded response from me in in the message saying back like, you know, f you guys, this isn't cool, stop doing this. <laughs> can you, for those that are unaware, can you tell everyone what that website in nerd uh, was it nerd bastards is as well? Yeah, uh, nerd bastards um, is just a pop culture website. They've had a lot of changes and things, and I. I it's kind of got bought out. I don't know the full ins and outs, but there's a long story there. It was very successful long before I ever um, had anything on there. Um, but it was just kind of a website that was all about pop culture and, you know, the stereotypically nerdy kinds of pop culture, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, 
comic books, video games, that kind of stuff. Um, and so they just, you know, they were looking for writers at one point and I, and I wrote a few things there. Um, and, yeah, that was interesting to do. It was, it was fun to do. It was trying to get my name out there a little bit. But it was kind of time-consuming. But Aussie Man Reviews, I've been writing for those guys for a long time now. Aussie Man is a YouTuber. And, and what he does is he just commentates videos in a hilarious Australian accent. Um, I, he, I think he's really quite popular overseas. I mean, he's, he's well-watched here, but we kind of have a bit of a cultural cringe around the Australianism sort of things. But um, he's very popular with America, or in, in America as far as I know. Um, and he's he does some great stuff, some great animal um, videos where he's just commentating. There's a really famous one. BBC got him to do some animals where he's like the you know the Alan 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 with the meerkats or whatever. Oh, it's it's well uh, yeah <laughs> yeah. If you hop online, like he's releasing a ton of stuff. He's pretty. He's got seven eight million views. You know, and he's making a good career out of it. He's done some voiceover stuff here and. Um, yeah, he's, he's a really cool guy and, well, he seems to be, I don't, don't know him personally, I should <laughs> be clear there, but, um, and, and that's what he does basically. He just has, has a laugh commentating various kind of YouTube videos and making them more amusing. So. Yeah, he's got millions of hits, uh, 4.1, 4.12 million subscribers. I like how he says fuck. It reminds me of Glenn Parker, how he says fuck. Yeah, yeah, well, fuck. <laughs> I don't know, is that the accent thing? Glenn says it pretty effectively, though, and he means that shit when he says it. So. <laughs> he did not Speaking curse. Of, uh, oh, go ahead, Pat. I believe, I could be wrong, I'll know when I go back to edit it, but we recorded an episode with him last night, and I don't think he said uh, fuck until the first 30 minutes, so he did good. <laughs> Ah, there you go. Actually, I think when we did the one with Max for for Ghoulish, I think when I actually first dropped an F-bomb, he said, oh, can we say that here? And then when Max said, yeah, go for it, of course you fucking can. Like, it's, it was just open slather. So that that was pretty funny, really swarming under the table. So um, that was pretty good. I mean, my, my kids are downstairs at the moment, so I've got to probably keep my voice down if I'm going <laughs> to be swearing. So, yeah. I, I was going to say, when we talked to Glenn last night, he kind of declared himself uh, the foremost expert on koalas. Do you have any reply to that? <laughs> no, look, it, it, I think it was pretty obvious when I was talking to him. He, he, he knew a lot of stuff that I, I didn't, so um, he was all over it. So if he wants to be the foremost expert on koalas, uh, I, I won't challenge him because he'll probably beat me because already we had that conversation. I was like, oh, this guy knows his shit, so... Yeah. I, I'm pretty impressed by it. I mean, you know, you could say, oh, you know, of course he lives in Australia, so he knows koalas. But I mean, I don't know 130 facts about the fucking gray squirrels outside my house or, <laughs> you know, uh, the 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 woodchuck that lives under my shed. I don't know anything about Wait, that. How, how are you missing the most? Dude, you missed the Bridgewater Triangle. He lives in this thing called the Bridgewater Triangle and Andy fucking call a dude that lives in Australia knows about it which is a 200 miles 200 square mile um basically supernatural area where there's a shitload of sightings from the gr- grassman which is bigfoot 
UFOs, devils, snakes, basically the size of anacondas, which doesn't make sense in this climate. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you should have brought that up. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't mention it because I, I, I don't technically live in it, so none of the weird shit happens here. Uh, the snakes that I see are a foot long and harmless, unlike, you know, the Australian ones, which will literally bite your kneecap off. Uh, so <laughs> as I understand it anyway. Yeah, yeah look. Um, yeah, that's terrifying. Uh, snakes. Uh, look, I, don't, I, I have a healthy respect for snakes. When, when I was a kid, uh, we used to go and and catch them a, a fair bit. So oh, I was like, as a teenager, um, I actually did a lot of work experience. Every weekend, I would go to Steve Irwin's Australia Zoo as a kid and was able to do uh, work experience there because we lived really close by, uh, and that was really cool getting to do that. But then in my own time, my friend uh, Aaron and I would. We'd go out trying to find snakes and catch snakes, and that would always be really cool. Every now and then you'd find something and you were like, oh, man, that thing can kill us. Like, get out of the way. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, snakes are, you know, I, I'm going to say you, you don't see them. You do see them. Uh, just the other day coming home, we started to warm up here coming into spring. and uh, We were coming back from a feed and a movie, and we actually there was a car stopped on the road. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? I've stopped behind it, and... There was a big carpet python crossing the road, and, and they're a pretty common snake, especially uh, around this area. They can grow to 12 foot long, um, and they're very localised species, but they're all up and down the coast. And we actually, I, I, maybe later on, I'll send you the video. The, the wife took a video of that thing crossing the road, um, and that was really good just to see people. Because I'm always like, people run them over, and I hate it, you know. And um, I just, I'm a real animal lover, and you know, like I'm the kind of person the wife wants me to kill a spider. I'm like, I'll put it outside for you. You know, I'm not killing it until I get caught a wimp and all this kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, so just to see cars stop to let this snake cross the road is just so cool. And, and I just think that's awesome. I mean, someone's going to find that in their, their yard in a day or two. But it's, <laughs> I can know. agree with you on the snake. I would stop my car to let the snake cross the road. Uh, I find a huntsman spider in my house, though. I'm burning the house down. So See, that I can't that. get on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, just just all that wildlife. I mean, and again, that's not to say that they're not scary. I was telling a story at work. We were I, my first year teaching. I went up to Rockhampton, which is on the central coast of Queensland. It's it's a, it's a, you call it a city. I mean, it's not it's not huge by any means, but it's a fairly large Australian city or Queensland city. And, and there's some you know pretty warm up there. You know, summer you averaging sort of forty degrees. The snakes are pretty active, especially out bush. And I'd gone for this bushwalk. I was coming down Mount Archer, and and I heard I'd already seen one little snake on the walk, so I was kind of aware of snakes around. And I heard that 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 slithering sound and um. When I looked, I was sort of coming down this embankment. There's a creek there. And, man, I could have won the long jump that day, hey, like, because when I turned my head to see where it was, this big brown snake, I mean, it was literally as thick as my arm, and they could have done these speckles underneath. So, you know, like, oh, that thing will kill you. And, and just up S-shape here, and it was, like, literally, like, eye contact for a second. And I, I, now, I now know that the sound I make if I'm ever going to die in a horrifying fashion is – uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm not going to call for mom. I'm not going to call for help. I'm just going to make a weird kind of whimpering noise. So <laughs> that's a good thing to know about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm no, 
no qualms about saying, yeah, no, I, I totally cowarded my way out of that one. It was, you know, I think the snake was just a scared. It kind of doubled back the other way and it's quite, but yeah, no, you, you do see them. And yeah. Uh, this is this is totally unrelated, but I remember one time I was crossing the road and I was on the phone with somebody and uh, a bus ran a red light and came right at me. And I remember my response was to stop and politely hang up the phone. And I said, now I know that about myself. I didn't scream. I didn't try and throw myself at the curb. I don't know what to do with that information, but this is apparently what I did in the face of death. Excuse me, I'm going to have to call you back in a minute. I'm about to get hit by a fucking bus. Oh, my God. You took it, you took it like a man, you know? That's Yeah. I'm, okay, so I guess I can do that with that information. That's cool. So polite, too. I would have just hung up. I don't, I don't think I actually said anything. I just hung up the phone. It was, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was going through my head besides I'm going to get hit by a fucking bus. Um, I didn't get hit by the bus, by the way. You might be Good. interested to know. Yeah, I am not sure. a pancake. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, Zach, let's talk uh, more about the uh, book you put out with Domain. Um, yeah. So it's a collection of two stories, The Encampment by the Gorge and Blood Memory. So yeah. how did that come about? Because kind of like Rewind or Die, they're uh, short, sharp shocks books. Um, yeah. they're, they're very, very well regarded within the community. Um, just like the Rewind or Die, you kind of have Haley Piper on there, Steve Stred, a whole bunch of uh, really, really good entries. Yeah, um, look, I guess... Um, I think the first one I read was, was Kev Harrison's, and, and Kev is a really great guy. Actually, I, I met met him. I, we were on holiday in Europe and going to Portugal, and we caught up with him, and he's just a great dude. But um, so I just sort of emailed Dean at at Domain and just sort of said, "What's the submissions process? Do you want to read anything?" And, and he told me what he wanted and and asked what I had, and I sort of said, "Well, I've got got these that you might be interested." In. I sent a few stories his way. And he said, I think these two pair together really quite well. I um, mean, it really was a, as simple as as that. I mean, uh, Dean's another really great guy. I mean, it helps that he's a Tottenham fan as well. So uh, I don't know if you know your Premier League soccer very much, but that's that's my team, it always has been. And, and, and when I found out he was Tottenham as well, it was just kind of great to see. Um, you know. It's it's yeah, I did say soccer. I, in Australia, the, officially it's football, but I've been calling it soccer my whole life. And, you know, I guess when I go to England, I see my family, I have to call it football, but whatever. Um, everyone knows what it is you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I just, yeah, I just sent them in. And these are the ones he, he, he liked, and we just went ahead with it, which was, it was interesting because uh, the first story was new to them, and the the Crocodile One Blood Memory was actually the first story I ever had published. That was published in Darkmoon Digest um, first, and that, that was my first acceptance. And that one, I still have, you know, the the contract and the email and all that kind of stuff there. And just like, and I saw you had one that read just recently, actually, Patrick. I just saw you. Uh, I think the other day you got accepted a story. Oh um, yeah, this one. Thank you. Yeah. And because he's uh, too modest to talk about it, uh, Patrick's going to have a flash piece in the. Flash fiction anthology uh, that Cemetery Gates is putting out, uh, I believe, early next year called Campfire Macabre, uh, a witch story that I had the honor to beta read, and it is fucking awesome. Oh, dude, that's so good. I got the idea when my brother-in-law and I were drinking, and he told me about this weird horror theory on uh, Peter Pan. 
So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Can't wait to see him. So that'd be cool. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's so good. Um, But, yeah, no, and, and there's just two uh, stories that I really enjoy. I think that even though they kind of do go to the both sort of like upriver kind of stories, I think, they, you know, one is sort of more traditional kind of narrative third-person um, sequence and one's kind of got that, that first-person sort of, um, Heart of Darkness kind of vibe about it where I always liked at uni when we studied that one. Uh, I know it's it's a kind of problematic story and that has to be recognised with, with Heart of Darkness, but some of the things like when you when you see the arrows coming towards them in in the novel and, and they're just there in the face and you, you don't have the background of where they came from, all of a sudden they're just there and then reading that in the first person and the present tense, it's it's really just, I think it creates a great effect on the reader of being there in the moment and I kind of tried to replicate that a bit with the um, encampment by the gorge, the, the first story in there. So um, I just really like that style. So they're kind of differently structured, but they're all, you know, encroachment of civilization and monsters and things like that. So. I yeah. like um, you mentioned that part of your inspiration and in, like getting into horror and stuff was about like these big creatures and these like terrifying scary monsters and then blood memory is like the biggest scariest like terrifying crocodile monster like was there a certain inspiration for that specific monster like what's I feel like there's something behind that story that maybe I personally don't know about maybe or I don't know there seemed to be like some sort of underlying message that I don't I'm not fully in on and I could be making that up because I'm bananas I don't know <laughs> yeah no, uh, I, I thank you it's, it's good that you point that out um with with blood memory and and Australia and, and like everywhere it's kind of you've got to be really careful because a lot of like the you know it, it, Australia's indigenous people like they're, they're their stories and it's really you know kind of touchy ground to sort of go into that kind of territory we have lots of um, discussions around whether you should be climbing Uluru and places like that because that's sacred to people and Australia's Indigenous people treat their, their culture in that way, especially the verbal culture. Nothing was kind of written down. It was, it was taught through imagery. So um, I, I can't say that I totally used anything in that sense. But one of the things that I've always been very conscious of here is despite the fact that outwardly Australia is a very civilised, modern country, and, and, it, and it is, there are still parts of Australia that live in third world kind of um, circumstances and a lot of that's not simply by choice a lot of that because of systems of oppression that are hugely talked about across the world these days and and I think there's also this very ignorant kind of attitude that well that's their choice and, and I, that really kind of bugs me because uh, it's going back a couple of years now but there was talk at the time with the then Prime Minister just well, these Indigenous communities, we're shutting off funding, we're shutting off this, they're so far out there, whatever. Like If they, if they want to be part of it, they can move closer. And, and I just thought that was such a short-sighted and, and, and rude, ra racist attitude, and, and it really bugged me. But So I really kind of wanted to have a theme that looked at the idea of place there and have something that was kind of strongly thematic. Um, and, and as I said, that was one of the first stories I really want to start taking writing seriously um, in, in fiction. I, I wanted to sort of experiment with that, see what I could do with that, while also trying to be respectful 
um, with, with, with the cultural stuff. And, and having said that at the same time, I think the idea that crocodiles have been here so long remained unchanged. You know, Indigenous Australians are the oldest populate, oldest culture on earth, you know, and, and there's sort of records that sort of, you know, talk about how long they've been here in Australia. And crocodiles have remained unchanged the same. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, they're perfect at what they do. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you working at Australia Zoo as a kid, you could just see, like, if, if there was two inches of water above the crocodile, they could disappear in it, you know. And you could think, like, some of these things are massive. I don't know if you saw a video the other day online. It's like a four-metre crocodile kind of porpoising beside a boat, you know, and they can swim as fast as dolphins when they're in the water. Holy God. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and they really are just this terrifying, terrifying predator that's completely, perfectly adapted to the ambush. Um, I've done some, like, uh, boat tours up in the Northern Territory, and, and it's just amazing, like, the fact that these things can jump so far out of the water and the size of them, like, these guys feed them, you know. You probably have the same kind of thing with alligators in the States. Um, but, you know, you, you, you don't lean over the side of the boat while you're watching, you know, because they, and if they've got you, you know, you, They've got you. Um, and, and, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I just kind of wanted to tell that story. I've always been fascinated by crocodiles and and I wanted to do that thematic thing. I kind of tried to blend the two together and I've taken a really long-winded approach to telling this. Um, <laughs> no, but, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah, but, yeah, so that's what I kind of wanted to do. I wanted to sort of raise that issue. That's why the feature article guy, the journalist in there, he goes out there with the idea of I'll tell this exotic story, this kind of um, story that there'll be something interesting in quiche for people to read. And, and the ranger is kind of like, well, yeah, cool. That While you're doing that, we're doing it really hard. And, you know, things like all the kids in detention in Australia are Aboriginal kids. Things like the the arrests for, you know, like, just recently Aboriginal women died in custody and it's been a long-going thing where the police cover each other when that happens. And it's the same all over the world in these kind of, um, well, originally kind of Commonwealth countries where that institutionalised racism and they look out for each other and it's just the way it is. And I think that sucks. So. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, that was the, the sort of messaging that I was picking up from that one, um, and that is what I meant. So um, I yeah. think it's really cool that you kind of, you included something that's sort of like a social commentary at the same time as including something that's completely horrifying and <laughs> something that probably is there, like, in people's fears, like, every time they go out on the water, anytime anybody's in a lake, like, anybody going near a river. I mean, so I mentioned this to Brennan and Pat earlier that I was reading it, um, and I kept, I don't know if you, have you seen Lake Placid, the movie? Yeah, not, not for a long time, but I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. Well, it's like 11 years old now, I think. And I, um, I haven't seen it in ages. And I was reading your book and I was like, oh my God, I have to go watch Lake Placid now because I remember being so terrified by these creatures and like having such this like, I don't know, like a horrified sort of reverence for them. And I'm from Florida, so there are a lot of gators as well. Yeah. And it's just... Like you're saying, they can get huge. They can get, they're fast. They're terrifying. I just, I love that you kind of put that with something that's also very incredibly important. It's, there are two different kinds of fears and two different kinds of things that played along together really well in such a short piece of fiction too. It's uh, oh, 21 years old. It's from 1990. 21? Nine. Look, I'm going to wow. tell you guys, I'm really bad at math. And so when I looked up the date, <laughs> I think I just added it wrong or subtracted wrong. <laughs> that movie scared the shit out of me. 
when I was like, I was ten when I saw that when it came out. Yeah, I, I remember four, watching that one. Yeah. There's four sequels too. I just realized that I didn't know what? until. But says, only one with Bill Pullman. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, there, there, and there's some. There's a really good. Um, I've got one. It's been on. Is it Blackwater? I don't know if you've seen that one. That's a saltwater crocodile one, and and it's kind of got a pretty realistic vibe about it. It's supposedly based on a true story. I don't know how how many liberties they've taken, but these kind of uh, tourists they kind of get stranded in this this mangrove tree with a saltwater crocodile there, and yeah, that's that's a great watch as well. The sequel. Yeah, it wasn't real good, but um, that that one was that one was excellent, and there are a few good ones. I, I thought, um, what was the crocodile? The alligator one recently. The, the all the alligators is really Croc- fast one. Yeah, I thought that was great. I know. Yeah, again, you had to suspend your disbelief a few times, but I I, I really liked that. It really claustrophobic kind of feeling. So, Zach, yeah. you talked about um, basically the the indigenous people of Australia. How it's, you know, it's a touchy subject because you're, you're, I assume, and based off of what you said, you, you are not in that category. The same thing is true for Native Americans. Um, just recently, Brennan and I, we are from um, Massachusetts. Uh, there's a few tribes from there, but for me, I don't know about Brennan, for me, the local tribe is called the Wampanoags. And they just had. I think it's like 321 acres as of March 27th, 2020, that they had uh, their that land uh, disestablished um, during a pandemic, nonetheless. So they, for some reason, get the short end of the stick all the time, and it's pretty fucked up. And me and Brendan were actually talking about this today, about Columbus. This ties in somehow. Don't worry. Um <laughs> We get the day off for Christopher Columbus, who's uh, a piece of shit, and he, I'm quite certain he never touched, uh, he never landed on the soil of America. So, I don't know. I think it's time that we focus on the good people that got fucked over. You know, it was their land. And this all ties to your story because that's how I feel. And I don't want to speak for Cassie and Brandon, but that's how I feel about Native Americans. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> it was just such a passionate, like, it was, yeah. I, I, I was really on board with it. <laughs> I'm it's, curious, it's Cassie, um, in either Florida or California, do you know if Columbus Day is like a mail stops, everybody gets the day off holiday? Um, when I was little, I remember, I think that we had school off, um, but I don't remember it as I got older being a big thing. And I think that is probably because um, it started being more common knowledge that he was not really as great as they were kind of telling us when we were all really little. <laughs> I only ask because my wife is originally from Oregon. And when she moved out here and, you know, the kids have school off, I have work off on that day. Uh, she thought that was very strange. They don't even if it's a holiday out there, nobody really pays attention to it. People don't have it off work. Everybody just kind of lets it go by without comment. Wow. Anybody so want to break the awkward silence? Yeah. Or? Yeah. We, we have similar Pat, discussions here. on the goddamn time? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll see that dead air. I'll, I'll spot it right away. Yeah. 
There's, there's similar conversations here in Australia around Australia Day, which uh, Captain Cook was our, um, you know, I guess our resident tyrant. Um, and, and, and you know, like for all we talk about, like there's, there's just no denying the fact that the British were just brutal. And, and, and here in Australia, like I'm imagining it was probably a policy that was pretty stretched far and wide, but here in Australia, it was to come in and say, well, this land is terra nullius. No one lives here. And these people, oh, they're not people, they're, they're animals. And, and, you know, there were, there was poisonings and all sorts of, you know, horrible things, um, which again, are, are well documented. And I won't sort of go down that rabbit hole because I don't know enough about it, but it, you know, like things like mountains being named after generals who, who marched, you know, whole tribes of people off the cliffs, you know, like, and, and so it's a, it's a debate. And, and over here, a lot of people have taken to calling Australia Day Invasion Day. And every year it sort of comes up like, you know, is it not a little bit short-sighted to celebrate the day in which we colonised or, you know, landed here and started slaughtering everyone as a day of unity when really that's obviously kind of traumatic and horrific for a large percentage of the population. And the answer seems pretty simple. You could say it's, 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 you know, a tricky question, but really like I think anyone who's got a slightest bit of compassion is going to go, well, maybe we can celebrate a different day in a different way. Like, you know, that's, that's exactly like that's, Hold up, I echo. <laughs> That's exactly like Thanksgiving. Um, there is from 1970 on in Plymouth, Massachusetts, same tribe that I talked about earlier, Wampanoags. Uh, there's a day called the Day of Mourning, where it's um, I imagine it's more than just Wampanoag people, but anyone else that I'm sure is passionate about it celebrates. Uh, I mean, not celebrate. They protest. Um, how it's basically an invasion day because there's a lot to it uh, that the date's not what we believe it is and that there was a lot of slaughtering of other native tribes followed by a feast. And, I mean, we clearly know what ended up happening to the entire country after. So uh, for anyone interested, I would look up Day of Mourning, uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts protests because they're really informative i'm just learning about them now but i figured that was relatable to what we're talking about it's it's fascinating and it's it's literally where you know quote unquote birth of america is so i think it's worth learning about yeah no it's it's across the world hey so all in it together so so as a teacher in australia i'm curious is uh how can you kind of run through how it has been during a pandemic? Cause I'm curious how it's been for you compared to um, Brennan, who's also a teacher. Yeah. Um, look, I, we had, we in Queensland, in, we don't have it as severe as well. Our lockdown was, was pretty short. Um, but basically at the end of our, our term one, which in, in, we have four terms in January, you have the first term. Um, and so you all, end of January, start of February is when term one starts. So in end of term one, we finished a week early, went to holidays a week early. And then I think for the first five weeks of term two, so for basically two months, we were locked down. I know in places of the world where it happens so much worse, we're, we're kind of really lucky here. We had a bit of a scare 
a, uh, a while ago here in in Queensland where some people lied on their stat decks coming across the border and you started to see pockets coming out. And actually, well, one of their sisters went to like my kid's school and, and, you know, so you're seeing this stuff happening and there's still cases in the community. But by and large, for us, it was, um, we were lucky. I actually teach at a private school this year and um, so it's, it's really set up with, the internet as a means of contact with students at the moment. And, and, and it's lucky every student has a laptop and um, I, I'm guessing you have the same private schools and, and public schools in the States. Uh, and so it was kind of, I won't say it was easy because at the same time I actually moved from being a regular classroom teacher to becoming uh, a, a program leader, which is like an assistant kind of head of department and uh, sort of the whole grade seven to nine I was uh, overseeing that during that process, and that's my first real leadership position. So it was it was huge, um, and picking up new classes because obviously I came off some senior classes to pick up junior classes, and just trying to engage with students and and the workload was immense. And some people said they want to go back to it, but I wouldn't. I like I love being in the classroom too much, um, you know, having a laugh, teaching kids, seeing that reward at the end of the day, um, but. That was massive, like filming videos and and then creating work and all of that. So it didn't go for too long here, thankfully, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much the gist of it. Um, there's still been some things around uh, sports and stuff where you get a positive case and oh, that school's just played that school in the community and okay, you guys, none of you are coming this week until we know what's happening. Um, but I've got to be honest, our, our school has been very responsive. The leadership have been very onto it. They they went and they they put hand sanitizer completely everywhere, which obviously is not the only solution. But um, lunch breaks, and this is the hardest thing, is people say, I just keep the kids separate. And you would know yourself, like, uh, I'm at an all-boys school as well, and there's a level of intimacy with those boys where they are all over each other all the time, wrestling, fighting, patting each other's butts, all that kind of stuff that young men do that there's no way you're ever going to police that. Um, and and, and it, it, that's hard work, being back in the school um, and just being ready that at a moment's notice we could be shut down overnight is what it is for us. But I've, I saw you were saying the other day you're going back to the classroom this was it this week? Yeah, we still yeah, on Monday, and um, our hybrid model basically, you know, the short version is, um, I'm usually at multiple schools. This year, I'm only at one school, and at any given time, we only have half the student body. So instead of classes of like 22, we've got classes of 11, or sometimes less, because we've got another group of kids that opted to go full remote, and. You know, it was a really rough week. I'm fucking exhausted, but um, it was very, very rewarding because the kids came in, deer in the headlights, no idea what to do. We're holding their hand, not literally holding their hands because we're not allowed to do that, but um, <laughs> leading them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> leading them through everything, all kinds of like new routines. Um, and day one was tough because everybody's like, you know, you're too nervous to laugh at a joke. They're too nervous to try to do anything. But even by day two, um, you could tell, you know, these kids, a lot of them have been in their homes since March. Uh, and this is the first time they're seeing their friends, a lot of them. Um, 
they needed it. So it's been a tough week, but it's been very reassuring that I want to say we're doing the right thing. Uh, if we end up with like 30 positive cases in two weeks, I can't really back that statement up. But right now it feels like we're doing the right thing. Yeah, I think that social connect is so important for for well, children, teenagers on, on such a huge level. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've only got to look. I think the statistics show that things like like depression and stuff have been huge. And our guidance counselor was telling us that this year alone, he's had to talk to more boys than ever before about like like serious serious issues that are scary for for those young men. Um, and, and for everyone who knows them, and that's terrifying. And and I I sort of reflect on that a bit. So I'm in sort of a dark place. But then for all the the pop culture kind of uh, idea that 2020 is the worst year ever, and there's no doubt it's a bad year. But when we when we keep saying this is how bad it is, what is the effect on 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 the young people who they've got to try and see a future? And, and I think that's a, that's a really difficult question. For those men because when they're young you probably know remember yourself like you're trying to picture where you're going but if you keep thinking it's the end of the world it's the end of the world what have you got if you're already in like dealing with being 14 in high school and having pimples or you know being slightly overweight or, or whatever it is and and then you're told that the whole world sucks and you know this is going to happen this is going to happen the fires are going to get you and the virus is going to get you and, and and it just made me kind of go wow like do we need to maybe think about how that that meme that, that the 2020 is the worst year ever? And you see it again today, obviously with the horrible news coming out of the, the states there. Um, that as adults, we're easy able to go or easily able to go. Yeah, you know, it's a bit of a dumpster fire right now, um, but you, we can kind of see that you know we've had hard times in the past and we come through them. Whereas when you're young, you're not thinking that far ahead, and it's kind of scary for some of those young men and and women, no doubt. Um, sorry, it's not young because I, I teach an old boys school. I said um, to think, where do we go from here? And I, I think that's a really interesting kind of yeah thing we have to consider is if we keep saying to the, these guys, well, that's it, it's all downhill from here. What hope do we give them? And yeah, I guess because genres like horror come in that you know people survive traumatic experiences, they come out of it on the other side there, and you know, and I think that's it is a survivor genre. I think that's brilliant as well. So. Yeah, and sorry, Brennan. No, Cassie, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that's like a really one of my favorite things about horror is that its ability to connect people and make them feel less alone and less just, I guess, just like they're suffering not by themselves and like there are other people out there who are dealing with these things and who can go through such hard, rough. I mean, in horror, oftentimes we see things that are pretty brutal and maybe not the norm in terms of like everyday roughness, but seeing people go through stuff like that um, and being able to kind of escape our own problems. I, that's such a great thing that the genre offers that I, I don't think is exactly the same for many other genres. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I don't know where to go from there. Now you can go, Brendan. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, we had, um, as opposed to other years, we were able to push our school year back for the kids and do two weeks of training, which a lot of that was learning how to use remote programs, but I was pretty, pleased with how much of that was spent having conversations about how to kind of counter exactly what you just said. These kids are scared. Uh, they have enough 
shit going on. And the last thing we need to do is for them to come into school and see it looking like the house at the end of E.T. Um, and just be even more scared and told that, you know, you can't touch anything or you're going to die. So, I mean, so much of uh, of the conversations we had is how do we put a positive face? So, you know, the, these these are kids that we know and we care about. And we haven't gotten to see them in six months. And we ended this, the last school year on such a sour note. What are all the things that we can do to make this as positive an experience uh, as humanly possible? And granted, we're four days into the school year, but I, I feel like we're doing our best. And I feel like a lot of the school districts are doing that because those young people, be they, you know, the eight to ten year olds that I'm seeing or the older kids that are coming to teachers like you, they need that positive reinsurance, reassurance. Even if you don't feel it in the depth of your soul that the world is going to be still spinning a year from now, they need to kind of have the same benefits that you and I had when we were in high school, that the world's going to keep spinning and it's worth putting in the effort and you know trying to be happy and trying to be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's so good about, um, you know, all, all the systems can make all the rules, but at the end of the day, people who become teachers, generally speaking, and, and I think genuinely as well, care about people and then and they care about the kids in their care. And we know that for some of those um, students, home is not a happy place and school is. And and it's something that I think most people are pretty conscious of and, and making sure it, even if they're not told to, they'll make sure kids are looked after. And I think that's really important in society. You know, take that whole idea of takes a village, I guess. But yeah. Um, let's uh, go to a lighter note. And all yeah. I can all I can add to that is that that's that's really interesting to think about the psyche of the younger generation because for me, um, I'm just so focused on so much that my boys almost 10 months I'm, I'm not thinking about what this is gonna he's with his parents and grandparents every day so i appreciate you bringing that to at least my attention and a few other people's attention man now let's focus on you again with uh what should we expect like what are you what can you tell us of things you are working on or what maybe you might want to be working on this or next year yeah, sure. Um, look, at, at the moment, I've got a couple of things out there. I've had, I've got one novella that I've had out. I got a, I've had a couple of full manuscript requests on it, and I'm, I'm waiting and I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed that that's gonna come through. Um, I, that's a pretty exciting one if it, if it does come out. It's another kind of, um, it's got creatures in it, um, kind of like lizard monsters and. You know, but then it's also got it's kind of like a spin on the home invasion kind of vibe as well, where it's post-apocalyptic and this chick's living out in the forest, the campsite that she used to go to, and she's kind of holed up there, made it a home, and then one day these uh, two other people are there. So I kind of thought, how could I take that idea of that claustrophobic home invasion kind of idea, and then um, make a make a good story out of that while also having some monsters, because I, I love having monsters there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to have another short, sharp shop come through. Um, and, um, yeah, also I want to put something together and hopefully you can get another Rewind or Die out there. I think that would be really cool because, again, it's such a great uh, thing. 
Um, and other than that, I've just I've been working on a longer, kind of more serious novel for a while, and it keeps getting put aside because this year has been huge as we talk about like work and you know I got married to you know my beautiful wife now this this year and congratulations by the way thanks man um I did have one story up a little while ago and then turned out that whoever was publishing it was a horrible racist and the website went down (laughs) oh my (laughs) and it's just like oh okay well find somewhere else for that um so so yeah it's no, it, it's been an interesting year and it's been a good year. Like if you had sort of said a year ago, two years ago, that I'd have 50 reviews on Goodreads, I'd be like, get out of here. That's amazing, you know, and and, and just this idea that uh, there's actually real books out there with my name on them that's really cool and, you know, it makes me kind of really proud and happy with myself and, you know, I think it makes everyone in that situation really happy with themselves and uh, it's just kind of, awesome to see and I just I'm hoping for more um if it doesn't it, it, it doesn't but um I'm still writing stuff still plugging away and still trying to write cool stories and keep things interesting I think I'm getting better as a writer so that's what I want to do um I've always written always been sort of radio and freelancing and that kind of stuff but actually pursuing fiction as a specific area is you know, it's it's a new learning curve. It's not like you can just take every single uh, field within an area and make it perfect. You know, like so, yeah. But that's it. So I'm I'm hoping a couple of those things come through. Um, and if not, maybe I have to look at some questions. And say, oh, is it worth releasing myself? Because it's it's competitive, and, and it's had two two kind of four requests now, and yeah. So I'm I'm thinking positively about that, and if if not, then hopefully I'll go for a third time and see what happens there. Um, Good for you, though. Yeah. I'm hoping that comes through for you. So as far as your writing schedule, do you – well, I guess do you have a writing schedule? Do you just kind of squeeze it in where you can? Yeah, look, it's – my schedule is probably a little busier than it should be. Um, by the time uh, – the, the wife is always telling me – Dude, sleep. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I try to generally, like, this is holidays now. We just started the first day of uh, our holidays for two weeks this today. So I'm hoping to really push through a first draft in this two weeks. And I don't know why my phone's doing that again, sorry. Um, and But usually I'll come home, I'll do my schoolwork, and then I'll have – some articles to write for Aussie Man. I'll usually spend an hour or two doing that. And on, on a busy week, I'll have like 15 articles to write. Um, and then then I'll try and squeeze in maybe an hour of writing on a weeknight. Otherwise, it's a weekend or a couple of weekends. It's been pretty slow this year. But just recently, I finished two. I sent another short story off for the uh, Spawn call for IFWG, um, Pregnancy and Babies and Hopefully that comes through, you know. Hopefully everything comes through. That's that's the goal. Um, that is the goal. But yes, that's, that's, the goal. Yeah, that's my schedule is basically squeezing when I can, but trying without, you know, alienating it. That's as much time as I can reasonably afford. It's admirable. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so um, that is exciting. I would like to read more about you. I would love to know if you have any books that you would personally recommend. 
Oh man, uh, this year I have had a, a pretty good year because I, I changed my workplace. I'm in the car a lot now, and I've sort of got all four apps from the library on my phone for audiobooks. And uh, this year I read um, D.I. Russell's book. What's that called? Um, I'll have to look up the name of it. I'm having a total mind blank. But Fred, that was I can't awesome. help you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Um, my mouse to work. I'll see if I can just find it quickly. Sorry, I don't know if you can still to see me. Not spot or anything. No, no, that's all right. That was really good. I really enjoyed Max Booth's work, um, as I think everyone does. He's very good. Um, In one of the uh, silliest bastards I've ever talked. <laughs> yeah, he's amusing, isn't he? Um, oh, Stephen Graham Jones' book that was fantastic. The Good um, Indian. Yeah. Uh, only good Indian, is it? Yeah, uh, yeah, my, my part. Really good. Um, Gwendolyn Keist, is that her name? I'm sorry. I think, it, I think it's Keist. Keist. Oh, I thought it was Keist. I don't uh, know. Nobody I'm bad knows. at names. <laughs> nobody yeah. knows. She's wonderful. She, yeah, she's read, a lovely read, person. I read The Rust Maidens, and, and that blew me away. I was like, that's really kind of on a Margaret Atwood kind of level, the writing in there. I, th- I thought it was brilliant. Um, God, there's so many. I'll just have a look at my list and see what pops out. Uh, Kev Harrison's book was really cool. And again, as I said before, he, he's just a really nice guy. Um, so he's well worth it. He's got a new one just came out. Oh, Clown in the Cornfield, Adam Caesar's stuff is always really good. Uh, God, here we go. If you all, what have I read this year? So much. Um, just scrolling through the <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the Wolf Hunt books, Jeff Strand. That's so good. I read The Cypher. That was brilliant. Grady Hendrix's book. Um, oh, Scream Ride is D.I. Russell's one. That's what I came here for. And um, the Kingfisher's one, the Twisted ones as well. I thought that was fantastic. So, yeah. I'm hearing all these books scroll by that you're mentioning that I either have on my shelf or on my wish list that I, I definitely plan to get to someday. Yeah, it's so hard to keep up with them all. Hey, like... Um, and as I said, if it wasn't for audiobooks, I'd be a, a lot further behind this year. But that's that's been a really, really cool thing. I've tried to throw in a few classics as well. So um, obviously I did the Moby Dick, as I mentioned before. Some of the Rewind or Die ones, I thought they're classics. Um, but no, the no. Iliad and Odyssey is um, really good to read Which or one? listen to. Um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, Homer. Um, to actually read the original, or the, not the original, the translated version that was, that was really interesting to go through and and it's funny a lot of these guys we see as these big greek heroes like achilles you know he's like oh man he's just such a winger just <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean uh winger someone who's always having a cry about it you know oh a little um, bitch <laughs> yeah 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 it's just sulks he's just sulking for the whole thing until he eventually decides he's gonna go and do some battling and like it's like oh man you're made to seem way tougher. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really, really good to see. Um, not uh, Dante's Inferno. Listen to that. So, I got the translated version. Yeah, I, I wish I could understand the original. I'd be, you know, if I had to be able to speak so many languages. So. I try. I try to learn a bit of Romanian. My wife speaks Romanian really well because she's originally from there, and that's always, always really impressive. Just to. Have two conversations that you can have with like family in there, and I always just think, man, I'm really jealous that you can 
just switch languages so well. It's the brain so amazing that it can do that stuff. So. I, I haven't love, mastered English yet, so yeah, I love hearing that in uh in bands. Uh, in particular, there's this one heavy metal band. It's a Latin band um, that I got into back in high school um, called El Nino, and they oh, yeah. dude, they mix up. Uh, I first heard them when they Patrick, were. Patrick, I haven't heard about that band since I was like 16. <laughs> oh my gosh. I yeah, so I stopped following them after the uh, lead singer and a few other original members left for different reasons because. I feel, and you guys can disagree with me all you want, I feel like in most cases, if the original singer isn't in it, it changes things. I tried liking the new singer. I just, it doesn't work for me. Because I, since I was a kid, I have loved this guy, Christian Machado. He's amazing. And uh, he's not in the band anymore. And it's just, it's not the same band. There's no soul for me. I mean, I'm, I'm shitting on the band, it sounds like, but it doesn't work for me. But the whole point was they mix in Latin, uh, Spanish with English. I don't know what the fuck they're saying, but I'm like, this is hardcore. I love it. <laughs> and Ka- Cassie, you know that band too? That's awesome. I've never, most of the times people are like, well, uh, I've never heard of them, but that's cool. In- in South Florida, especially, there's a lot of um, music that's kind of English and also Spanish um, oh, okay. in like all the different genres. So you'll have like rap music like that. You'll have rock music like that. You'll have, there's a lot of pop music like that. So Lovely. It's, all, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually so I'm glad that you brought the music thing up. So because I've already throughout this whole thing we've been recording, I, yeah, I've written purpose. down. <laughs> I've been writing down um, some recommendations. So I have Blackwater, so I'm going to watch that. And then I also have a couple of the books you just recommended. Um, and then when we were preparing for this, I also uh, realized that you were into music and like metal and stuff. And then while I was reading, um, one of the guys in the book has like a Cannibal Corp shirt that I <laughs> have a bunch of Cannibal Corp shirt from when I was like 15, 16. And that was actually, they were my first concert that I've ever been to. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what are some musical recommendations that you can give to me and us and our listeners? Um, and what kind of things do you like listening to the most in regards to that? This is always a hard one, I think, simply because, I mean, I'm not actually that huge on Cannibal Corpse myself, but when it comes to metal and horror, they're, they're kind of like the poster boys and they're so well known and their shirts are so kind of iconic that I just figured if, you, if I'm going to have one, it's, I'm not going to pick some obscure band, it's going to be them. Um, but I I find with metal and it's really hard to make recommendations so obviously you know you can have a course and things like that it's so hard because so many people like it's deep dive stuff like you kind of don't really get into the really heavy stuff until you you sort of move up incrementally you can't just sort of start you know Slayer Rain in Blood you're like what is that Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, um, look lately I've I really, really, really have been loving, you know, I don't know if you see the, the record on the wall there, in, in Ferry's album, Revenant, it's actually what made me go and read uh, Inferno. I mean, it's, unless you, you've been in the metal for a while, it, it's it's all kind of, it's super technical. Um, the vocals are kind of all all cookie monster or screaming. There's no, <laughs> there's nothing clean or anything like that. Um, the song structures are long-winded. Um, so it's really progressive technical death stuff, but to me that's one that I just that's really on a pedestal for me. I uh, love the Black Dahlia Murder, Revocation. So a lot of these, a lot of American bands actually um, are just really killing it right now, and, and the levels are getting higher and higher. Uh, Allegiant or another one are just uh, amazing. 
Um, and and I, I do like it really quite heavy. Um, Slugged, I found a really cool band as well. Oh, so many. I mean, God, where do you start? And some of the names are just like I saw a boarded with the Black Dahlia Murder uh, play a gig. And, and Black Dahlia Murder are probably one of the all-time faves for me. Uh, I just love those guys. They're so tongue-in-cheek with what they're doing. Um, but, again, also just blending metal and horror and having fun with it. And I've seen them so many times. Um, yeah. So. Is that, was that one that you pulled on a pedestal? I, I cannot make it out. Inferi, I-N-F-E-R-I. Um, I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah. I-N-F-E-R-I, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got some new stuff coming out, like a really kind of uh, Cthulhu-based one, I think. But um, this one is like it's their their take on Dante's Inferno, the guy traveling through the nine levels of hell, um, and yeah, it's really progressive. And I just just to me, it's it's a perfect album. There's nothing nothing you could say that needs to be better. Like it's just great. So yeah, what you, my list of recommendations. What about you, Cassie? Um, you, I feel like you got some pretty good ones that I might not have heard of. So I listened to, in high school, I listened to a lot of like more metal stuff. So I was okay with a lot of the screamier stuff, um, like where you can't really tell what they're saying. Now I like the screamier stuff where you can understand them so that I can sing to it, obviously, in my poor fashion. Um, So that's what I do a lot of. So I listen to a lot of screamy music. So it's probably not exactly the same. Um, But like he was saying how they're bands with like some questionable names and stuff. One of the first bands that I actually saw was um, Dying Fetus. And I was like 16 and I was asking my mom, can I go see this band? And she was, she was like, are you going to go what? Are you going where? <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to allow that. But I mean, she did. And uh, yeah, it, there, there are a lot of metal bands out there that, like you're saying, the focus isn't necessarily so much on the sound of, I don't want to say even the sound because it's like it's not really the melody of the voice or like the way that they're presenting the lyrics themselves so much as the music and the stuff that goes into it. Um, so I can appreciate that appreciation for something like the the band, the Inferi, Inferi. I don't know how to say that. Inferi doesn't sound right. That sounds <laughs> different than I want to say, but I, I put that on my list and I'm excited to listen to them. Yeah, I wrote them down, too. I got a few that I'd recommend that you guys might not know about. Besides El Nino, that's a band that I always go to. Their second album, Confession, is my one of my favorite albums ever. Uh, one of the tracks, How Can I Live, the uh, English version, was on the soundtrack for one of my favorite slashers ever, which is Freddy vs. Jason. Um, they have such a good soundtrack. The whole thing for that movie. There are so many good bands in yes. that. Spine Shank. You guys know that band, I, I saw them in London in like 2001, maybe. <laughs> like, they, yeah. How how was that? That was that was awesome. And Dry Kill Logic played support actually. So, um, yeah, really going back there. But that was that was a really cool gig. I think I would have been like uh, 20, maybe uh, 19, 2001. So that was that was really cool. Um, really impressive. So. Yeah. I, I don't remember the video game. It was an N64 game. I don't remember which one. I want to say it's like, I could be completely wrong, but 1080 Snowboard for the NFL. I think there's a Spine Chain song there, too, that I really dug. But uh, them, my one of my favorite bands, uh, Seven Dust. I've uh, been a big fan of them for decades. And uh, 
and two more. Asking Alexander is a newer one that I absolutely love. Uh, In Flames, uh, actually three more. And um, Fallen in Reverse is a new band for me. Oh, they're uh, like a uh, screamy kind of, right? They are, and there's some weird rap in it. I, I don't yeah, mean weird rap. Yeah, I like rap. them. No, they, I like them. They're good. They got some solid ones. They got this one called Drug or Drugs, where uh, Corey Taylor does a feature in it. Oh, Corey Taylor, he's <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, his other band, um, Stone Sour, they're really yeah. good. Um, unless you guys have any more questions, I actually have a couple more, but uh, I don't want to interrupt if you guys. Want to carry this conversation out? No, I'm just saying. I don't have anything else on this. I just find it funny that most of your favorite bands patter on the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack. That's, <laughs> that's pretty hilarious, and I love knowing that about you. Like, that's great. That's one of my favorite soundtracks, personally. So, Besties. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take uh, it away with your question. <laughs> I am not asking Brennan this because I specifically know he's not really into this genre, which is fine. I don't judge him that much for it. It's that much. You no. know what you you know you have listened to me prattle on about jazz bassists on the show at least three times so you 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 have your moment in the sun it's all you dude <laughs> thank you um well unlike you I'm a musician that can't uh, emulate the type of musicians I like so that's fine um I want to steer this conversation to uh, uh current reads what are you reading right now. So a little bit different than what would you recommend, but what are you name two or three or one? Uh, Zach, sorry, I should have specified no, this. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I just started uh, The Rue. Um, I figured I should get around to, to yes. reading that one. All yeah. three of us um, are in that book. <laughs> we are in that book. Yeah, I think you might have just got punched out. Has that happened to you, Patrick, in there? Or you punched someone out or something like that? Uh, <laughs> me and so me and John Lynch, who is a reviewer. Um, yeah, I guess I don't I don't know why. I guess we hate each other, so we're fighting. That's the first scene. <laughs> and I um, punched John, which would, in, in case John happens to hear this, and even if he doesn't, would not happen. The dude's a fucking marine. I don't. Fi- I've, <laughs> I've been in one fight in grammar school, if you can call it that. He would kick my ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think maybe Steve Stred just got destroyed by the room. I can't remember. It's been a week or so. It's been a busy week with a lot of assignments. Brennan's spoiler alert. Brennan's death. Sorry. Brennan's death. No, I'm saying for what I'm about to say. Brennan's death is my favorite death of all in that book. Yeah, mine too. But I'm biased. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm pretty partial to me being in the book, but you know I can understand. <laughs> I can understand the love of Brennan's. <laughs> well, there's just... one that I like better than mine, but I, it's 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 a little more spoilery, so I won't go into it. But you'll okay, know it when you it. see it. <laughs> yeah. Fair um, but yeah, other than that, I, I said I just finished my audio book on Thursday and being school holidays, I didn't start another one yet because I would have only had, you know, two hours to listen to it. So it would have been waiting for two weeks. Um, uh, other than that, I mean... I'm halfway through a Don Winslow one as well, which I usually have a paperback around and the Kindle as well. Is that his and then the one? No, it's one of his older ones. Um, Frankie Machine, um, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's typical. Um, Winslow is a mob guy and there's cops and they're telling mob stories and killing each other. Pretty standard. 
Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's anything on the force. I, I thought that book was fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's basically all I'm reading at the moment. Because as I said, I've hit that, just finished Moby Dick and haven't started another one yet. So. I wanted to talk about Moby Dick super duper, super duper quick. I um, was just at a, uh, uh, I don't even know what the hell it was, a super big yard sale with a bunch of people. Uh, but they, there's this one guy who's selling, selling uh, in the heart. Was it in the heart of the sea? Is that the title? Yep. Yeah, and I saw that movie um, when it came out, and I just thought it was so funny because uh, again, it's Massachusetts based. And I'm just, I, I think it's so neat to listen to. It. I assume those are accurate accents from that era. It's like old colonial uh, New England accents, and they're just. <laughs> Seeing Thor do that shit, it's so weird. And you got Tom Holland in there. It's just, it's, it's neat. I like it. But to think that you, as a, a person, can take on a massive mammal with a stick and a pointy end, <laughs> you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, man. So Zach, you said that book was a bit of a slog for you, but is that your uh, is that your final word for it? Was it worth the slog? Look, yeah, it's worth it. I mean, let's be honest. The book is it's a classic, and it's a classic for a reason. Um, I, what I found really interesting about it, though, was like I really don't need to know the mechanics of everything on your tick, and and, and that gets a bit tedious, and and, and I. I could be wrong with this, but that olden time style of telling and not showing a lot of the time yeah. is kind of can be pretty like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. You're summarizing it, summarizing it. You're not really summarizing. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then like it's sort of about three quarters in, you know, to belly of the whale territory, you're kind of getting really like, yeah. oh my God, just get on with it. Finally, here. Yeah, that final chapter hits, and it is just—it's an amazing final chapter, and um, you know, and like the symbolism and everything that's going on, it's just—you're like, okay, yeah, all right, and kind of a bit relieved that it's over. I tried to read it years ago and didn't get too far. I thought, no, I'm I'm, I'm driving to work. It's there in the library app, and I'm gonna. You know, I'm all out of Kindle credits or um, Audible credits, so let's see what I can get from the library. And I, and Frank Muller uh, is the narrator. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Dark Tower audio books, but he does a lot of those, and he's just. You know, you know it's funny because I I agree with you. That final chapter is just like, um, and and I wonder if that kind of you know that's that's one of the reasons why it's a classic is you forget about the like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages you pushed through to get to that last chapter yeah. um, you, you were saying you know you got to a point where you're like i don't need to know all these mechanics and what i always found baffling was that the you know the, the anatomy of like whale skeletons and the way that ships were constructed even ships that aren't necessary to the plot got their own chapters and they were like hundred page chapters um yeah. it, it was I always found it strange that it wasn't just extra information inserted into the story. It was like, we're going to pause the story so you can read a fucking textbook for a while. It's literally like a textbook with a few bits of story in it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, hey, that, that final chapter, that hits and you're like. It was yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. All was forgiven. So, yeah. All right. Very cool. Um, Cassie, what are you cur- currently reading? I can't talk. 
Um, so right now I'm reading, um, obviously a Christopher Pike book and also actually one of the rewind or die books that we were talking about earlier. Well, not one of the ones we mentioned earlier, but from the series we re- mentioned earlier, um, hairspray and switchblades by V Castro. Nice. I'm reading that one right now. I'm actually starting it tonight. So I'm excited about it because I love fun. the cover and I've heard, yeah, I've heard that it's a lot of fun. So the whole series has been great and I've, I've loved all the books I read from it so far. Very cool. Brennan. Oh man. Um, so since I just answered this question last night, I'm going to see if I can come up with something new. Um, <laughs> I, oh, you know what? I'm reading the third book in Danielle Barnett's Nightmare Land series. Um, it's the other ones were like around the hundred page mark. This one's uh, closer to 200. And he has uh, promised that it's going to be kind of one of those like, oh shit installments. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, but I probably won't read it after we're done here and I won't, I won't start that tonight because, you know, I'm in Massachusetts and it's late. I'm not in California or in Australia where it's tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Pat, how about you? I'm almost halfway through essential six stuff. I'm going to dedicate a lot, many hours tomorrow to finish that before we talk to Ronald Kelly tomorrow night. Um, that's the only one I'm focusing on. So, just so uh, in case any Stephen King nerds are out there and like, hey, fuck Brennan for not liking it. I was kidding. He loves that series. It's his favorite Dark Tower series. Nobody yeah. was listening to you chiming in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> moving on. Um, I did want to bring up one thing, especially since Cassie is on here. It would only be appropriate to bring up her new podcast that comes out. The airing of this day uh, will be September 24th for your episode, Zach. Exactly one week after that will be the airing of not only our special on the Pikecast crew um, coming on to talk with us, but it is what else? Uh, Cassie, can you tell us about it? Wait, what date did you give just now? Uh, so a week from the 24th is, sorry, yes. I got a calendar for October 1st. Yep. Yes, so that's actually the day, the first day that we're going live, we're premiering the Pikecast is a book club podcast dedicated to Christopher Pike, Um, and I am one third of the co-hosts, and it's my first time other than here right now co-hosting anything with people, so I'm very excited about it, Um, but it's probably going to take up a lot of my reading over the next bit because he has a lot of books and we're going to be sharing episodes every two weeks, so yeah, we're also going to have guests, so Zach, if you like any Pike books in the future, want to check them out. Hit me up. <laughs> there you go. I don't really know Christopher Pike too well. I was a goosebumps guy, so. <laughs> That's okay. You'll love it. I promise. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are fighting words. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he just like opens his jacket and he's wearing a goosebumps shirt. <laughs> I know. And then I'm over here with my Pike merch and I'm like, wait a minute. We have to do battle now. <laughs> the co hosts are also Becca Fatrell and uh, Cooper Beck. Uh, I'm going to fuck his last name up. Cooper Beckett. Cooper Beckett. I was going to say Beckett, but I'm like, oh, is it Cooper Beckett? I, I apologize, sir. Um, I'm looking towards that. Me and Brennan uh, listened to the preview episode. I like it. It's a good show. You guys introduce yourselves. It's fun. You guys uh, make it interesting. Um, and one more thing. Um, there is going to be, and still uh, as the date of this recording, you will have one almost full week to submit a short story to Deadhead Reviews. We have a short story contest 
where there is oodles of prizes, one of them being being a guest on this show, another having uh, a short story piece edited by L. Turbot, who is a fully uh, endorsed editor by myself. Um, and on the panel of judges will be L. Turpit, S.H. Cooper, Rich Gerlach, myself, Brennan, and Cassie. So for more information, go to deadheadreviews.com, go on the tab that says content submissions. And from there, it's pretty self-explanatory. Zach, we appreciate your time. And I just wanted to point out one thing, um, not to suggest otherwise to previous guests, but your intelligence on literature itself honestly is it's noticeable and I think it's awesome and it's gonna it, it comes out in your work um, I which makes me inclined to want to further read things by you besides the fact that it was just fun like you're you're very self-aware um, of what you're at least how I perceived it of what you're writing and the goal of why you're writing it oh. Thanks, man. That's uh, yeah. I'm never good with compliments like that. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. I mean, you're. That's how I see. I assume you teach too. Um, yeah, I try. Well, try to. And you're generally just a. Since I've talked to you online and in person, you've been nothing but a very nice guy. So uh, it's that's why I like doing video. Um, people are just gonna hear this, but I assure you, he's been smiling most of the time. <laughs> thanks zach, man. Yeah. thanks for your time zach we appreciate it and where can people follow you uh obviously there's the the twitter which i guess if you search zachary ashford i'll come up i think it's on ashford underscore zachary is the app uh, i have a website which probably needs a little more um do you care uh, zacharyashford.com and, and that's basically it. I keep it really simple. I did sort of mess around with the Facebook in the very early days, but it's too much work. Um, and I, I don't want to do more work. So <laughs> <laughs> just the Twitter is there and I try to use that for promotional stuff and, and you know, not, not keep it too personal and of course, go from there. So that's basically it. And that is C-A-C. Oh, sorry. You want to do it? Uh, I was going to say Z, but uh, yeah, Z Z A C H A R Y, and then Ashford is A S H F O R D. We've had a great time talking, man. We appreciate your time, Brennan. Thank you for joining me as always. Cassie, you knocked it out of the park. Not surprised. As our first guest host, it means a lot to us. Me and Brennan put some real thought into who we wanted to do this, and you killed it. So thank you so much for being here with us. And tomorrow. Not chronologically for when these episodes are released, but recording-wise, we'll be talking to you with Cooper and Becca tomorrow for the podcast uh, interview and or conversation, however you want to see it. And we're excited for that. And listeners, thank you for joining us. As always, have a good time or day or night or morning. Bye. Nailed <laughs> hey. it. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leading Deadhead Space. I feel like there are a lot of you guys have a lot of beards in this in this <laughs> right now. That all of you have a beard and I'm just sitting here completely beardless, so I just have to point it out that this is like a beard club that I feel like an intruder on, so thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs>
That might be one of the best, though. It'd be weird if you had a beard. I don't no, know. Maybe I mean, you could pull it off. Well, like the lady from that one movie, The Greatest Showman, she did it. She rocked it. Okay. Yeah, Cassie would have a rainbow beard. So be awesome. True. I would. True. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Cassie, for the, that inevitable outtake after the like end credits. Perfect. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. 